Welcome to the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator, where we discuss energy planning, public policy, and other issues affecting New York's power grid. Welcome to episode 21 of the Power Trends Podcast, produced by the New York Independent System Operator. My name is Kevin Lanahan. I'm Vice President of External Affairs and Corporate Communications. And today I'm very pleased to welcome our two guests from the U.S. Energy Information Administration. First joining us is Karina Ricker, who joined the EIA in 2017. She is a certified data scientist and currently working as the lead modeler on the natural gas markets team. Previously, she was an operations research analyst in the Office of Energy Analysis for Petroleum, Natural Gas, Biofuels, and Liquid Fuels Markets. And we're also joined by Dr. Tyler Hodge, who has been with the EIA since 2005, where he is a senior economist in the Office of Energy Analysis. He's the lead modeler for producing the monthly electricity industry forecasts for the short-term energy outlook, which we will be focusing on and stepping through. I want to welcome both of you today. And thank you for joining us. Thanks, Kevin. Yeah, thank you for having us. So I do want to read from your website. If folks go there, it's fascinating. Uh, There's a a lot of information across markets that I think our listeners would love to dig into. There's always interesting things there to find. But want to read a summary of what, if folks aren't familiar, what the uh, U.S. Energy Information Administration does. Because I think, first of all, closely tracks and in some ways mirrors what we think of at the New York Independent System Operators, our responsibilities. The U.S. Energy Information Administration collects, analyzes, and disseminates independent and impartial energy information to promote sound policymaking, efficient markets, and public understanding of energy and its interaction with the economy and the environment. And then it goes on to say that the EIA's role is unique because it provides an unbiased view of energy markets increases transparency and promotes public understanding of important energy issues. Our mission and vision and our uh, core principles here for our responsibilities, almost verbatim there. So we have a lot in common, don't we? Yes. I mean, um, one thing I should point out is that, as you mentioned, we are policy neutral, but, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we aren't involved in policies. What we do is we develop forecasts and analyses and outlooks and then look at the effect of different policies on that. But we don't particularly advocate one way or another. So that's that's kind of what makes EIA a little bit unique in the government. Yeah, and we would say the same thing about our approach to policy here as well. And we like to say that we present the facts and want to make sure that policymakers have those facts so that they can, as as we just covered, make the best decisions going forward. And of course, energy is a huge focus here, as it is across the country these days. I think the information you guys have put out in your short-term energy outlook, which folks can find on their website, is interesting in understanding where we've been in the last six months or so, but also where we're going forward with regard to prices and the impact of geopolitical and national issues. So first, I'd like to start with the findings you have in the short-term energy outlook with regard to the U.S. residential electricity price. We were getting some inquiries from folks, of course, over the winter as prices were rising. Why was that happening? And can you talk about the price impacts that we saw in the first half of this year and then what you're predicting might happen the second half of this year and into 2023? Yeah, what we're definitely seeing with retail electricity rates is some of the higher growth rates that we've seen in a number of years. 
And as you're probably aware, I'm sure that's especially concentrated up in the Northeast region, especially in New England, for sure. The prices that we forecast in the, the short-term energy outlook, the STEO, for the retail prices are based on the census divisions. And we, for New York, we actually put that in the mid-Atlantic region. And, and so far this year, during the first half of the year, it looks like the residential retail rates are up uh, about 9%. And that's probably pretty close to what we're projecting for the whole year. And that's true, not just for residential rates, but also in the commercial and industrial sectors. And there's really the main driver of that is really the fuel costs, especially natural gas. As we'll discuss, the prices there have really gone up compared to recent years. So I, th I think that's the main driver behind retail rates. And what are the drivers of the increase in in that in natural gas? Um, of course, you know some of the um, issues, the geopolitical issues there, are having an impact. What also makes up some of the uh, some of the drivers? So what we've seen recently is that growth in U.S. demand for natural gas has been outpacing the growth in supply, and this has led to inventory levels that are below their five-year average. And big contributors to the strong growth in demand are high levels of U.S. LNG exports and also some strong domestic demand for natural gas consumption in a, a few months has been higher than average. And at the same time, the growth in production that we've seen has been relatively flat. We have seen growth in production, but it hasn't been at the same pace as the growth in demand. And these lower than average inventory levels puts upward pressure on prices. So we have the basic laws of supply and demand here. And is it fair to say that there's been a little bit of lag in production because perhaps of still the woes of the pandemic and, and the economic recovery there? What we've seen since the pandemic is a recovery in production, but a bit of capital constraint from some producers. And so even though production has been growing, uh, like I mentioned, the growth has not matched the growth in demand. And looking into 2023, what are the predictions and trends there? In 2023, that's when our models are showing domestic natural gas production really picking up. At the same time, we see the growth in LNG exports that we've seen recently start to slow down. And so in about the spring of 2023 is when we expect inventories to build faster than average, which will put downward pressure on prices. So for the full year of 2023, we're expecting prices to be about $4.76 compared to where they are now and where we're expecting them to be for the second half of 2022, which is just under $6. So I want to try and explain for folks the relationship between the LNG exports and production and consumption here and how that might translate back home in New York with regard to wholesale markets. Can we try and tie all this together for some of our listeners and explain that? Yeah, so we look at U.S. LNG exports as a source of demand for U.S. natural gas. And in the past couple of years, we've seen a lot of growth in capacity of U.S. LNG export facilities. And they've been utilized at very high levels. So that translates to high levels of U.S. LNG exports and an increase in demand for U.S. 
natural gas. And as I mentioned before, the growth in demand has been outpacing the growth in supply. A big contributor is that growth in U.S. LNG exports. And so they've contributed to this tightness in the market and the upward pressure on prices. So the, the power plants that produce our electricity back here have felt that increase in the price and are having to pay that price in the production of their electricity that driving the wholesale markets here in New York. Yeah, that's true. That's that's definitely the case uh, for wholesale electricity prices. The main driver is, is really kind of that fuel cost for natural gas, since that's often the marginal fuel used for power production. In the STEO, we actually do produce wholesale electricity price forecasts for prices during on-peak hours. Um, and for the New York ISO Hudson Valley zone, for 2022, we're actually projecting a price a wholesale electricity price of around $83 per megawatt hour. And that would actually be 80% higher than the annual average last year. Like I said, that mostly reflective of the increase in fuel costs. And there are folks in market participants that believe higher gas prices should create an additional incentive um, and a driver for investments in renewable energy. Is that something that you folks are seeing or is there not necessarily that relationship? Well, that's a hard question to answer. I think those are longer term trends for sure. You know, in many parts of the country, there the mix of capacity for generating is determined by capacity markets. And obviously, the markets are set up to incentivize the construction of the lowest cost sources for future growth and electricity demand. And therefore, with the rising cost of natural gas fuel, that that's likely to make more natural gas capacity more expensive than building renewables. So one could make that argument that might be a driver. But but like I said, these type of decisions are made over a long term. So you know we might need to see a sustained, elevated level of natural gas prices to sort of make that argument stronger. I think the you know, the main driver of the growth in renewables is not just economics, but there's also like some policy driven incentives that encourage increases in renewables. So that's another factor that can kind of make the comparison about which fuel is cheapest in the long run a little bit more messy. And I don't know how familiar you are with the state policy here, but they're often referred to as some of the most aggressive renewable investment and decarbonization policies in the country. Certainly, uh, the state is on a, on a pretty steep trajectory to, re to reach certain thresholds for wind and solar and storage. Can we talk a little bit about and focus on some observations that you folks were making with regard to storage specifically and that technology? Do you observe a, uh, a meaningful amount of, of development there across the markets? Yeah, we're definitely seeing a bump up in, in storage uh, projects. They're obviously still a, a pretty small, absolute level of the capacity additions, but they're an important component because um, a lot of the projects are being developed as hybrid projects with particularly solar, but in some cases wind. And that's designed to help reduce the, the intermittency in these renewables. 
So even though it's not currently a strong absolute level or amount of capacity, it's definitely an important component, especially when we're talking about the growth in renewables. So we're actually in the process of redesigning some of our, our surveys to actually get better information about battery operation for its new storage projects. So I, I think that'll help improve a lot of the information uh, the industry has about how the operation of these things affects the overall market performance. And on the other two technologies, wind and solar, any recent trends there and are supply chain issues and constraints having an impact on, on development that you're observing with uh, wind or solar? Actually, yeah, this year, solar is actually, I think, the leading new energy source for capacity additions. In the past, it's been either natural gas or wind, but solar definitely seems to be the leading new technology this year. Um, and as I mentioned before, a lot of that is is in the Texas region or in the South. But yeah, if you look at some of the maps that EIA publishes on their website about where different projects are located, you'll see little solar dots throughout the nation. So it's definitely being developed world or nationwide. Um, and, and we're actually in the process of trying to analyze what these supply constraints, what effect they might have on new additions. We have some preliminary data because we each month we actually collect a new survey about planned capacity over the next 12 months or so. And each month, they, the respondents, the survey respondents will tell us when they plan to come online. Seems like the last month or two, you know, it's it's been 50-50 on whether or not we're headed into a recessionary environment. And waking up this morning on the 15th, uh, one might say we've moved closer to that possibility. Any thoughts about how you might have to alter your work going forward and if that's the case and with the Federal Reserve contemplating another rate hike? I mean, on the electricity, that's kind of a challenge on our end. I, I mean, in terms of like the effect of any recession on new capacity investment, since we rely on what the 860M is saying to us in that survey, and with, combine that with the, the, the lag of the information, we've been a bit hesitant to sort of reduce in a negative direction those capacity assumptions, because we don't want to pretend that some of the respondents might not come online, even though they're telling us they are. But but yeah, as since it's a monthly survey, our STEO assumptions are constantly evolving. So for folks here in New York, both uh, market participants and then policymakers and, and consumers, uh, based on what you released in this latest STEO, how do we sum up what uh, they should know? with regard to the second half of this year and the impacts on the wholesale electric markets. And then I know we talked a little bit about this, but if we can try and sum it up to what you guys are beginning to predict for 23 on those same issues. How would we sum that up for folks, what they should be thinking about and focused on? I can start on the natural gas side as one of the drivers of wholesale electricity prices. So for the second half of 2022, for natural gas prices, we're expecting them to average just under $6 per MMBTU for the national benchmark price. 
And we're expecting that to decline further in 2023, starting about the spring of 2023, and average about $4.76 per MMBTU for the full year of 2023. On the electricity side, yeah, as, as Corinna mentioned, the, uh, the natural gas price really is kind of the driving factor in our, our outlook for particularly what fuels are going to be used for power generation. And and one thing that I don't think we discussed earlier is that natural gas, even with the higher prices that we're seeing recently, we we haven't actually seen a, a pullback nationwide in natural gas generation share like we've seen in the past. Well, this has been fascinating and really uh, helpful. I would ask if you guys could come back again and go over the next CEO or and and perhaps in 2023 when you put out the annual outlook talk to you folks again really appreciate your time today and i again i encourage everybody to go to the eia's website you find fascinating information there not just about the us but about uh, global markets and energy issues for instance you know one of the main headlines on the site right now is a look at norway's production i was surprised to see that norway is the largest producer of, of oil in western europe but that the 98% of their production right now is in renewables. So that, that's an interesting uh, dichotomy there. So thanks, Tyler. Uh, thank you, Karina. I appreciate your time today. And we look forward to talking with you both again. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Kevin. It was great speaking with you guys. Thank you for joining us. As a reminder, the New York Independent System Operator, NISO for short, is responsible for reliably managing New York's power grid and energy markets and providing independent data to policymakers and the public. For more independent info, please visit the NISO blog at www.nyiso.com blog.